0: Welcome to The Breakdown, where we delve into important topics of the day with loyalty only to reason, evidence, and a willingness to consider new ideas with an open mind. I'm your host, James Sayer. Tonight, we talk about reopening the schools, or to reopen the schools or not to reopen the schools. Yes, because that is the question. For the past few weeks all across the United States, as well as in many countries across the globe, Many people are pushing to reopen schools and to start allowing children and college students back into classrooms. Children and families have been struggling with the challenges of online schooling. Many medical, education, and developmental experts say children are suffering from poor academic outcomes after months of online learning hastily developed by schools to continue to teach kids at home, as well as the isolation of not being in school to interact with their teachers and peers, and the impact that this can have on children's mental health and their development, not just in America, but on an international scale. Now, the school closures have been hard, not just on kids, but on families, parents. Parents of young children who who work outside the home have to try and find a sitter for their for their kids, or, or to work from home and, and juggle helping their kids with online school while they try and do their own work. And let's face it, parents are not exactly suitable substitutes for teachers, and online learning is not a su- suitable substitute for learning and interacting with your teachers and peers in person. Now, many parents who work outside the home, especially women, have had to give up their jobs to stay home with their children while they attend online school. Many medical, pediatric, and childhood development experts say that poor children and, and children of color are suffering the most ab- academically from the school closures and online learning. And there are many who claim that opening back up the schools will be better for kids who are highly resistant to the coronavirus, and also it'll be good for the economy, as it's going to allow parents to, uh, you know, who, they, who've been forced to stay at home with their children, uh, they'll be able to go back to work. And parents who do not have the luxury of staying home will no longer have to worry about making arrangements for someone to watch their children while they go to work or to have to leave their children home by themselves. So lots to it. (laughs) So let's just jump down the wormhole and uh, take a look at, at this and see what we can find out. So most medical and childhood development experts do say that we should reopen schools uh, for simply for the health and well-being of children, uh, if we can follow the necessary safety protocols. Now, they say, yes, the damage to children, families, and the economy from leaving schools closed definitely outweighs the potential damage from coronavirus isp- e- exposure if schools can reopen following those proper safety protocols. Now, it's true, children do have a high resistance against COVID-19, especially younger children. children, Younger than 10, in particular, Uh, they have a resistance, a strong resistance, uh, both to catching it and uh, even to transmitting it. Uh, but that resistance declines in tweens and teenagers and generally as you get older especially over 60 your resistance against the virus tends to decline as you age so uh, and those with with, of any age that have uh, diseases or compromised immune systems are also at higher risk of contracting and falling seriously ill from COVID-19 and this is according to the New England Journal of Medicine. So We're talking about the safety protocols. What are the safety protocols that schools need to follow to be able to safely reopen? What are they? Well, according to the CDC, there's five key safety protocols or key mitigation strategies that that schools should focus on following uh, if they reopen. Uh, One is make sure everyone wears masks, cloth masks over their mouth and nose. All right. That's one. Two is social distancing. Wherever possible, however possible how whenever it's it's feasible, that's not always possible, but as much as much as social distancing within a school setting can be uh, accomplished. hand hygiene, obviously washing your hands is is another key safety protocol, making sure people wash their hands frequently and respiratory etiquette that means right sneezing or coughing into your elbow, right that sort of thing. Uh, washing your hands after you sneeze or cough into your hand or elbow. Uh, the other is con- contact tracing, where where they t- when someone falls ill, they they trace the contacts that all those people have had to be able to be able to track the potential spread of the virus to other people. So contract tracing is the other component. So that's something that the school and public health agencies have to collaborate and coordinate together to work on. So that that's an important thing that schools and public health agencies at the state level, state and local level, will need to do. Um, and then, of course, cleaning. Uh, cleaning is, is the other, the fifth uh, important safety protocol that there's uh, heavy cleaning on, you know, doorknobs, door handles, desks, uh, countertops, you know, everything that people are touching, basically. You're talking about, you know, hundreds of people uh, in and out of a, a facility. So, you know, uh, intensive cleaning probably before and after school and any opportunity so these those are the five key ones but they're also a bunch of supporting mitigation strategies that may are not the core but also should be implemented as much as possible to ensure uh safely reopening schools as much as one can safely reopen schools during a global pandemic which is now surging it's uh it's 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 surged past the peak levels of the summer now so anyway, the supporting mitigation strategies include cohorting, uh, which is like basically what that is, is a technique where the kids go back to school, but they stay in a certain bubble or group or cohort. Uh, and that is their school group. And that's the group that they're with in school. And they don't interact closely with anyone else but that cohort so that if one of them gets sick that limits their exposure to only the people within their cohort that's pretty smart pretty smart approach so cohorting is a really good mitigation strategy to keep in mind staggered scheduling um so and this this involves using cohorts having staggered staggered arrival and drop-off times at school for children within certain cohorts so cohort cohort one gets dropped off at you know eight 45, cohort two gets dropped off at 850, that sort of thing. Alternating schedules is is another mitigation, supporting mitigation strategy uh, with fixed cohorts where you get, again, you have the fixed cohort again, but there's these rotating schedules. Okay. So where before you have just like the regular day schedule, everybody goes in together, but this would be different where you have, you know, uh, potentially there's different ways you can do it. You can have people, uh, a certain group comes in the morning and, you know, a certain co- co- cohort groups, a set of co- co- cohort groups comes in the morning and a certain other set comes during the afternoon. And so they're doing ha- like a half day schedule and they can rotate that. Um, the other is that they can alternate by days if they split it up to where uh, you go one day, you take another day off you do the next day and you alternate days and maybe you, sp- you split a half day. Um, or alternate a day, you take a day from uh, the following week and you alternate that way. Um, and there's there's even like one group attends one week, skips a week and does online learning the week they're not in class. And then the following week, they're back in class again. And when you're not in class, you're doing some form of online learning, right? And there's these different combinations that, that are already out there that that schools are already looking at and implementing where there's you know, obviously the one where they just send everybody back to school, but then they, there's these different types of schedulings where they are alternating schedules. But and then there's also, um, you know, the blended where you have, you know, part your children are going part part time to school in classroom and part time online. And that's that's very likely you're going to see a lot of that hybrid more more than likely as people try and implement these different different scheduling strategies and try and find a way to socially distance uh, students. Um, so look for a hybrid approach from a lot of schools. Um, but also other key um, integra- mitigation strategies, uh, obviously very important to discourage uh, the sharing of items, right? Like pens or anything, really anything at all. Uh, uh, in addition to the, right, the just a the social distancing and trying to keep six feet or more away from everybody, you know, don't share anything with them because, you know, they've had their hands or whatever all over it. So discourage the sharing of items, restricting visitors to school. You know, so only in like the rarest of circumstances, under unusual circumstances will schools allow visitors to even come to the school. Right? That makes sense. Uh, a really big one here, I can't stress this one enough, and it's a supporting mitigation strategy, but it's a really important one, proper air ventilation. It's important that that schools ensure ventilation systems are operating properly and they, they increase circulation of outdoor air as much as possible. For example, you know, make, obviously making sure the ventilation system works, but also opening windows and doors, and which is a highly effective way to improve your ventilation. But it's tough to do in winter. And, you know, it's like we're going into November here. Not the, not the best time to open those doors and windows, although you could probably do it here and there. Some, uh, but you really want to have the, uh, your, your ventilation system up and running and working in peak condition um <laughs> now that's a problem because to open reopen classrooms safely experts say uh that ventilation systems must be able to replace air at least three times per hour that's kind of the minimum that's their minimum floor of that it should be replacing air uh three times per hour uh and but ideally it should be six so that's the range is three to six uh, Uh, times per uh, hour, you're replacing the air. Now it's actually, experts say it's actually, in in reality, most schools, it's probably about one point, the air is replaced about 1.5 times uh, per hour for most U.S. public schools. So it's about half of what it should be below the minimum standard uh, for, for what would be considered acceptable ventilation within most of U.S. public schools. So that's a major problem for reopening right there. So that's fixing those ventilation systems, replacing them. That's big money. Uh, not easy to do on the fly, costly to do on the fly. Um, so that's, that's a big ticket item that's, that's, that has to be looked at. And then you're going into the winter where it's going to be tough to leave the windows and doors open for very long. Uh, so that's a, a key component to really think about when you're looking at considering whether you should open, reopen. How how good is the ventilation in those schools, and what what can you do if it's if it's not even a three if it's not even a, a replacing air three times per hour? Uh, what are you going to do to to address that issue? Um, because you know having if you have COVID in the air and it's not being recirculated out when you're in an enclosed area, that's where you're in the most danger. If you're in a much more open space, it's a much lower risk scenario. But when you're enclosed in enclosed spaces with a lot of people, right, for extended periods of time and there's not good ventilation, that's a choice opportunity for uh, a super spreading event. And that's precisely what we're trying, trying to avoid. So, so even though it's a supporting mitigation strategy, proper air ventilation, make sure that, that your schools have it if they're going to reopen and that the minimum is they're replacing air three times per hour at a minimum. And it's somewhere between three to six, ideally six, right? They consider four good, five great, six ideal, and three is the bare minimum, right? So at least make sure they're getting replacing the air in your children's classrooms three times an hour. That's the, the the bare minimum. Obviously, also, speed it up here, taking too long, supporting mitigation strategies. Like there's three more of them worth mentioning. One of just the physical barriers that you see everywhere now, which are really smart and makes sense to just keep now that we got them because we can, that can, that is useful against all kinds of viruses and colds and illnesses. It just makes sense to have sneeze guards and barriers. Um, so, Definitely more of those, the better. Absolutely. Um, obviously close down or stagger the use of communal spaces like playgrounds or, you know, certain, like certain rooms that a lot of people use, um, or like, you know, stagger, stagger the use and extreme cleaning right in between the use. Um, and also like, uh, Eliminating the self serve, self service of food and drink options for students, which students love, especially you know, uh, like middle school and high school. Um, but that's another opportunity to like share your germs with you know, uh, machines, you know, soda machines, and you know, all the different stuff that uh, you know, at the cafeteria, yeah, just. The opportunity to just share a lot of germs. so those are those are like the, the supporting mitigation strategies kind of covered them you get a good idea um, probably went over them a little too long but anyway let's move on so from the research what what we're seeing from the emerging research that's coming out now uh, does, it appears that schools schools do not appear to be super spreader sites if if they are reopened properly. Now, this is according to a number of recent reports. The first one I'll mention is from the Universitat, uh, from the Universitat Politecnica de Catalunya in Spain, um, that there is no connection uh, whatsoever between schools reopening and spikes in cases. Uh, also, uh, another study from Insights for Edu- the Insights for Education Foundation also found no consistent pattern at all whatsoever between uh, spikes, spikes in uh, COVID-19 cases. And reopening schools. And also uh, from data that uh, uh, we've seen from Utah's uh, state COVID-19 database uh, that has shown that schools uh, in Utah, who which which is actually has a, a high transmission rate of COVID-19 in Utah right now. But even that, even though that's true, schools are not driving the spread uh, within Utah. Um, according to uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, COVID-19 outbreaks in high schools in France, Israel, and New Zealand did not extend to nearby elementary schools, which suggests that susceptibility, infection, infectiousness, or both are lower among younger, younger children. Uh, also, according to the uh, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Holland, Belgium, Austria, Denmark, Taiwan, and Singapore, uh, school openings there in those countries have not led to increased cases of the virus. Um, Now, of course, these countries have had much more stringent uh, restrictions and reopening policies, a lot more social distancing, uh, a lot more uh, cleaning and uh, extensive mask wearing. Uh, So they've been really good about their safety measures. Uh, The United States, not so good. Certain states have been good, uh, but we've been very inconsistent, and, and that's... A big part of why we, we we have, you know, the outbreak is the pandemic is actually worse now than it's it's ever been. Um, So the question is, can we with all this, can we reopen properly? Are we willing and able to do what it actually takes? What you know, what has to be done, and and where where can we fudge a little bit? So most important are those key mitigation strategies. Making sure everybody wears masks, making sure people social distance the best they can, making sure they're washing their hands as much as possible and coughing and sneezing into their elbows. Right? Making sure you're you're doing contract tracing anybody time somebody falls ill, that they're tracing all of their contacts, right? Between that the school and your your public health agency are are, are, are tracing those those contacts uh to to isolate the people and to, to stop the spread. And of course, cleaning, 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 you know, just killing, killing those germs, killing those virus germs. Um, Any opportunity you can, when you have, you know, that many people uh, sharing a space. Okay. So those are the main things to do. Um, And if a school is, you know, um, if they're dedicated, if, if they're vigilant, uh, that's going to really improve the chances of limiting an outbreak within the school. Now, of course, you also want to follow as many of those previously mentioned supporting mitigation strategies. As many of those, especially, especially making sure you have good ventilation, good ventilation within within the schools to make sure the air is getting circulated out of those rooms. And, you know, you're getting, you're, you're, um, getting those particles, you're flushing those out. You know, uh, if there are COVID-19 particles, they're getting flushed out of the room. You know, you know, that air is getting flushed out at least three times an hour. So not only is COVID-19 surging across the U.S. right now at peak rates and much of the rest of the world as well. But the flu season in the U.S. and much of the world is fast approaching. Now, there's a good chance of a double whammy here, a major possibility for massive numbers of sick and dying from both viruses to overwhelm our hospitals and emergency rooms. So this is a serious, you know, uh, combination of events we really want to try and avoid. Um, Schools could be super, super spreader sites, right, for both both viruses at the same time if proper safety measures are not followed especially with areas that high transmission, with high high transmission rates. This is even more important. So now, okay, here's something I've been thinking about. I want to throw this out at you. It's a thought on the timing of reopening schools right now. Today's October 27th, okay? Just a few days away from Halloween. Now, while there's a strong desire and a, a very real need to reopen schools, it is almost the holiday season. So, For people who want to reopen schools, you're going to undertake this massive and expensive effort to reopen schools right before the holidays. People will be dealing with the craziness of Thanksgiving and whether to go see family at all this year and Christmas and New Year's with COVID surging right now, all right, and the flu coming on. So why don't you just wait until after the New Year? That would get everyone time to deal with the holidays and to do our best to slow the spread of the virus and the flu during this time. Lots of social distancing, mask wearing, and good hand washing, all right? And give give schools, states, and localities that would give them time, time to prepare for reopening in January, right? It might be simpler, safer, and and overall even more effective to actually wait to reopen for two more months, to do it right. So will two more months, waiting two more months, having two more months without in-person schooling do that much more damage? Or will there be such a boost to the economy from workers returning to the job market and back to their offices to work now that their kids are back in school? Will that be worth it? Will getting back to school now be worth all the scramble at such a chaotic time? Good questions. Now... There's a lot of different people out there pushing to reopen right now, and for good reasons, right? Many parents and their children, business groups, economists, many state and local governments, and many childhood development health experts all want schools to reopen. And they've had lots of reasons for wanting to, right? Better education and social socialization outcomes for children, better work options for parents. Uh, it could be mu- obviously much better for the economy to get things running back to normal as much as possible. Better for businesses to get their workers back in the office and have have their workers be more focused, right? Um, you know, now that they're now that they're back at work and or or even if they are at home that they're not having to you know juggle helping their kids with online school. So here's the thing, it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to open. It sounds good. It should happen, it's important. But if we do it wrong, we run the risk, we run the risk. Right. Of making the pandemic worse during flu season and having us take massive losses both to both viruses, which will further harm the economy and force more shutdowns, including schools and make these even worse. So reopen the right way, or you may have to just close down your schools just a few weeks after you reopen. Now, in the US, we've had, we've had nine months. To take the steps necessary to slow the spread of the coronavirus and we've largely failed failed miserably though some u.s states have consistently done far better than most shout out to vermont maine hawaii my home state of oregon washington state california new york new hampshire and dc not including the white house (laughs) you see a pattern here yes mostly liberal places Where governors, state governments, and health agencies take a more active role in promoting public health and fighting the spread of the pandemic by having more stringent requirements for reopening businesses and schools, statewide orders requiring mask wearing inside businesses, or mandated social distancing policies for restaurants and bars. Yes, state governments who have taken the virus and the need for precautions against it seriously have done the best against the spread of the virus. So... If states and cities are willing to implement the necessary safety precautions, then reopening the schools makes sense. Though the higher the rate of COVID-19 transmission in your area, the higher chance of spread within your schools. The lower the transmission rate in your area, the lower the need for mitigation strategies in your schools. But the higher the rate of transmission in your area, the greater need for more extensive mitigation strategies in your schools. So maybe it makes more sense to wait, to wait to reopen most schools until after the new year. Or maybe not. It just depends, depends on, on the specifics of your situation and where you live, right? Re- reopening may, may be uh, a necessity for some areas and less so for others, right? Some, some people can work from home and some can't. But, but if you really need to reopen, make sure you do it right, do it properly. Follow all the safety guidelines, especially the five key mitigation strategies of masks, social distancing, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, contact tracing, and cleaning. Otherwise, you may just have to close down again in a few weeks. And remember, you don't have to just go along with what others want to do. And an assertive and well-informed person can accomplish a great deal. Go to those school board meetings and, and PTA meetings. If you want them to reopen, advocate for that, but make sure make sure they do it right and follow all the precautions. If the school's plans for reopening look, look shoddy or suspect, tell them so. Hold them to account. Fight, Fight to keep the, the schools closed until they meet the basic requirements for opening safely. And make sure the local and state governments and school superintendents are telling you straight and communicate to them Communicate to them clearly, but diplomatically and politely, all right, because they're just doing their jobs and they're having to manage a lot of different different types of people's concerns. Uh, but tell them diplomatically and politely what you expect from them regarding opening of schools and the safety of your family and community. And write your congressperson and your senators. Get on social media about it. We already have elections underway across the country so you can vote right? Vote for candidates that support a careful and evidence-based approach to reopening schools. So if you're part of a group of parents, right, you can get active together and accomplish even more than just by yourself. So you can get involved. You can have an impact on the outcome. All right, that's it for this episode of The Breakdown. I hope you found it interesting and informative and that it gave you some good ideas to think about regarding whether your school should reopen now or whether they should wait, as well as, you know, how they need to reopen to do it safely and what you can do to help make sure they do. Now, on our next episode, we're going to discuss the results of the 2020 elections. The poll numbers are still looking good for Joe Biden and the Democrats right now, 9% ahead of Trump nationally for Joe Biden. But how will it play out on election night? Will we even know who the winner of the presidency is on election night? Or could it be days before we, know, before we know the final outcome? Now, a lot of that depends on how close the race is. With record early voting in the U.S. and strong poll numbers, both nationally and in many battleground states, for Biden, it looks like it could be a Biden blowout. But will it? Or will it be a close one that takes days to decide, maybe weeks? Will there be widespread attempts at voter intimidation and will authorities do their part to prevent it? Will there be unrest following the uh, the decision, following the election? I sure as hell hope not. Well, we're going to know in a matter of days, and we'll talk about it then. Until then, if you haven't already, get out there and vote. Have a great Halloween. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.